0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Music Podcast with Dave and Neil, with me of course, David. Hey Dave. Hey, how you doing mate? Good mate, it's a a big studio this week, it's often just you and I, but we're, I'm going to say full, I mean there's only two people, but it's full as far as I'm concerned. We're joined by Mentals Tucker and Keep Sydney's Open Tyson Co. Guys, welcome, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks very much for having us. That was my favourite
1: introduction of all time, normally people go with a hello or something, but that was <laughs> straight in with the sound effect.
2: I'm really consistent with the um.
0: <laughs> that's good too.
2: I actually put them on a song that's roughly about uh, lockout laws. A song we did called Wolves, and at the end of my verse, I do this massive reverb. Chika chika.
0: <laughs> I've never done that. That's awesome. It. I like that. Well, I mean, it's kind of like your thing now.
2: It's kind of like it's uh, Kanye's
3: ah, oh, my thing. it's
0: like, <laughs> yeah, it was like well, it's
3: reminiscent of Yellow, you know. Oh yeah. Oh, that's and where it's boom, from. Yeah, and, but yeah. then it's also reminiscent of Spice, Spice Girls.
2: Ziga ziga. <laughs> mm. oh, damn. Mm. See, my mo- favorite movie was um, all ears Spice is Fer- Ferris oh, okay. Bueller's Day Off, and, yep. and the theme song was the Oh yeah. Oh, it's a classic. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I try to watch it every year. <laughs> it's like a little little treat to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> a little Ferris Bueller treat. Yeah. How to be a, how to be a human that works his own stuff out and breaks all the rules and it's all good <laughs> that's, I like that I, I like his character
1: I love I love how like, most people watch that movie like oh it's like it's a fun movie there's a, a big dance in the street there's a parade someone drives a car out a window you're <laughs> like that's the life journey that yeah. I want <laughs> yeah. I really respect him as a human man. well like, yeah
2: he jigged school he stuffed out everything and then kind of got away with it all as well it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot kind of, lessons of like what real life is yeah. can be like <laughs> yeah
0: well guys there's no secret why you're here obviously you're here to promote uh keep city opens i want to say inaugural multi annual festival meet me in the cross. it's happening uh saturday first of july tyson talk me through it man i mean keep city open have had a couple of really successful rallies turning out what twenty thousand people mm. why why festivals now well, you know, it's it's kind of a
3: reframing of the group, I suppose. I mean, when we first started off, you know, it was it was just me calling up venues, doing research into nightlife around the world, you know, really really boring dry stuff, and then of course it blew up. And then you had the rallies, then you had tens of thousands of people on the streets. Mm. And there was that passion, there was that there was that fervor there, you know, people were just like, ah, yeah, you know, like finally someone else who, you know, uh, feels like me and feels like this city is just getting too restrictive. And so we had those rallies and then, of course, it kind of reached a a fever pitch at the start of the year when Mike Baird quit mm-hmm. all of a sudden, mm. you know, and and a lot of people attach the lockout laws to him, uh, which is unfortunate because the lockouts are still here even yeah. though he's gone, you know. Uh, and so we recognise that a lot of people just want to get on with the job, you know, they want to live in this city. Um, there's still artists, there's still DJs, there's still promoters, you know, mm. just trying to make this place fun and interesting. And so we thought, well, ra- rather than having a a protest, again, which highlights the issue. People come together and that's great. But, you know, rather than asking artists to, you know, turn up and, and, and do a speech or, or play for free, we thought, well, why don't we put on an event that directly benefits the venues, directly benefits the artists and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So this is, yeah, a, a bit of a pivot. And I think it's even more potentially uh, positive than a, than a rally.
0: Before totally. we even get to the artist lineup, because it is huge, how easy is it for you guys? Because, you know, this is across a lot of venues in the cross, uh, like World Bar or Sweethearts Rooftop. Do they just get on board straight away? Um,
3: yeah, look, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, not every venue is on the list. You know, there's some mm. that, that wanted to sit it out and maybe see how this one goes. So there's a you know small handful of venues that weren't a part of it. Mm. But for mm-hmm. the most part, I think that one of the reasons why Sydney is um, the way that it is and that a lot of the venues have been kicked around is because a lot of the venues hadn't really been talking to each other, hadn't really formed a plan in terms of their their precinct. And Mm. so, you know, the police or the government or the media or whatever was allowed to, they were able to come along and and just trample all over them. So this festival in a way is all of the venues coming (coughs) together in one united voice and saying, you know, this is our precinct, we are about fun, we are about live music, we are about dancing and um, and yeah, so I think um, a lot of the venues are really keen to to jump on board. Well, it's super exciting and
1: I, I think something that I'm, I'm excited about is, is, like you said, seeing the movement, which, you know, I'm a big supporter of, uh, very, very happy to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> um, but like seeing it sort of make that pivot because when we lost Mike Baird, it did kind of feel like we lost the the sort of the central sort of figurehead behind what we were sort of talking about and you know we had Gladys come in and there was this this sort of question of how is she going to approach these these lockout laws what's her stance on it um and at least for for me it sort of felt felt like there was uh and I'm I'm sure you guys are still you know moving forward with with a with a really strong direction but it felt like you know what do we do now um and it's really cool to see that you guys are going well here's what we do now we do. <laughs> yeah. we, we we do something fun. We get everyone together. We be positive. We
3: um we have a party. Yeah, that's right. You know, I think. In this city, you've got a lot of people, whether that's really conservative health, inverted commas, experts, to police, to politicians, to just old people who can't remember what it was like when they were in their 20s and 30s. You've got all these people telling us that we're not allowed to have fun in this city, and we know that that's not right. So, what's the best way to fight that is to just go ahead and have fun anyway, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, like, we could protest, we could stamp our feet. Kind of like
2: walking the walk by doing this though, you know?
3: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Hopefully, you know, and, um, and I think one of the things also, particularly with King's Cross is you've got a, a venue like King's Cross hotel, which is massive. You know, it's got a total capacity of over a thousand people. You've got a rooftop and a terrace and there's other little club spaces in there too, and a theater. Mm. And, um, on a regular Saturday night, which is their busiest night, they don't even open up half of those floors. So people talk about how there's no venues and yeah, places have shut down, mm. but you've got these venues that are still around in the inner city area that people actually aren't using. You know, promoters aren't putting on album launches or gigs or little festivals in there. Yeah. And, um, and so we kind of wanted to really blow the lid off it and let, you know, all those promoters around here or elsewhere in the country know that there's spaces in King's Cross and in the city where you can still have a really slamming gig. And it's,
1: but it's getting harder to put on the, these gigs. I feel like wasn't there that there was that vivid gig that was on uh, a couple weeks uh, yeah. at the King's Cross hotel. Wasn't it yeah. that they got shut down before midnight? Um, like if, if that's sort of the city we're living in where our, one of our central entertainment precincts is not even allowed to have live music before midnight. Like wh- what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we, Fix this. Yeah,
3: well, look, um, I think we just keep making... Please have all the answers. ...noise about it. Yeah, well, you know, it's, look, it's a tough one because a lot of people were focused on the lockouts. So that is still a problem. But in Sydney, there's a whole climate that's really anti-live music, that's anti-fun, that's anti-music events. Uh. And, and the problem is is that it's not just the one area of governance. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's the local council. Sometimes it's the state government. Sometimes it's the police. And in the case of a lot of the issues that we've been having more recently, which is club closures, um, we've had cops come in and close clubs for the weekend, drug raids, all that kind of stuff, which are just, you know, I think they're completely bogus. I'm just going to come out and say it because they'd never make a single arrest, but it completely screws up the club for that night and it scares the patrons away. And then it sends this message that, oh, well, why would I want to go out if you know, the cops are just going to come and accuse me of taking drugs and being up to no good when, you know, I just want to have a, have a good time, you know? So, so I think the police hasn't caught up with, um, with the cultural platforms that a lot of the state and local governments have, because at the end of the day, they do want to have a vibrant city, but but um, you've got the police that are kind of contradicting them a little bit. So, look, um, I think that fight is for another day. It's going to take some time because, you know, as we all know, the police don't like being told what to do. Um, So even though at the end of the day they work for us, you know, we pay their salary, I think they forget that, and so do we, you know. Um, So I think we um, need to have that conversation at a later date, but, you know, for now we just want to put on a good party, totally. And remind
2: people that it's... the yeah you're right like there's this a space in the middle of city sydney that people have forgotten about that is in this dead center where if you're from any part of like the eastern suburbs to the inner west everyone can meet there in the middle and that kind of culture's kind of been forgotten as well yeah absolutely how's, yeah. how's gigging changed in sydney I, um I've, in spoken, your experience? I've spoken about it a fair bit like um i'm in a lucky situation, I guess, where I've kind of done a lot of legwork and I can, when I put on a show, I can use the Metro or the more or something. But I remember or I even think about how hard it must be to start a fan base now yeah. when you have to jump from basically a cafe to, um, you know, that Lansdowne just opened, which is perfect, yeah. to uh, Oxford Arts. And you really, like, it. you can't just pull 500 people out of nowhere. Like, you really do need to put in sometimes, like, a year, year and a half legwork of just kind of playing around all the different areas so people can know you're a good live act or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be terrified, to tell you the truth. It's, like, really hard for... It seems really hard for a scene to kind of, like, blow up like things used to happen in Sydney since this... Kind of oppression of, uh, or, or all these like venues closing. Because
1: when you yeah. look back at your journey and the journey of your band, um, can you see that same journey happening in the same way it happened for you guys for an artist today?
2: Not in, no, it's totally different. Like, um, I, we, I, we literally, when we first put on headline shows, they were at 50, 100, 200. 300 500 capacities and they were calculated like okay our friends are going to need to come to this for these first couple and then after that we're on our own and we're going to have to have real fans and it's just like that step by step thing you do as an as an act is like you know working on improving your gains and and going oh we could have done this a little bit better or whatever but after a while you realize in each region like what kind of numbers you can pull and yeah. and right now like Unless you're one in a million that drop a viral track that goes really well and for the next three to six months you're like buzzing, mm. um, most people on a local level have to have ground roots connections with the community, the music community around them. Yeah. And right now it just feels really like fragmented. Um, and, you know, I think the worst thing possible for the government what's happened is, is that a lot of it's gone underground in warehouses where mm. it's like... That's they don't want that. That's like an unsafe environment. They could have had it in a, in venues that that can be like health and safe, safety regulated, and yeah. and you can have proper sound systems and professionals mixing the
1: stuff. People stop making money when it goes underground. At least uh, the people they want to be making money, the people.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it just becomes an us and them thing rather than actual community. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah. To tell you the truth, like if I like, it is harder than ever on a local level. Grassroots level to grow a fan base than it ever has.
1: It's like how do you how do you build up momentum where you have no running space to to actually get started?
2: Yeah, like places like the An- Annandale made the a culture of Sticky Fingers. So like that they, they played there so often that all the surrounding suburbs told their friends that you have to go to this place to see this band, and that's a scene. And it's really hard. It's really hard to cultivate that when you haven't got iconic. Um, venues that can that can really foster that, um, yeah, community and and particular... It, uh, it takes about, you know, three to four bands to make this scene happen and they explode and it happened to us in the Blue Mountains. There was like Hermitude, Fundamentals and a bunch of other hip-hop acts that were around for like two years and through that we were able to build like a really solid following and uh, the venue that we were playing at was the same one and was consistent yeah. and um, when... When things are so like there's so much under turbulence with venues, they you can't get that club night like uh, a pur- purple sneakers at the Abercrombie, mm. for instance, where you mm. where people can get really familiar with that DJ or that act, um, because you know basically promoters are jumping around a lot because they don't know where to. You know, put on their event.
0: One too. of the things I hear a lot from people, uh, and again, generally friends, parents. When I argue about lockouts with them, one of the first things they say is, "Well, why does it matter for bands anyway? They're not they're not playing gigs at twelve thirty anyway." What do you What do you say to that? Well, it's like
2: sometimes when you want to, if you're an up and comer, mm. what you do is that you um, just say that I've I've just released a song. And I, I need to headline uh, a space that's 500 people because um, I need to make a, a dint. It's time for me to make an imprint and I need people to kind of stand up and understand that I can sell out a venue that has 500 people in it. Yep. For me to do that, I need to be cheeky and I need to get a big bill of all my friends to play so they bring their friends as well. And this is the reality. And so you have a stacked bill. And so, by the time I get on, there might, may have been like five acts before me. Um, and they're all playing to their friends. And we're actually, that's the community. You're sharing an audience mm. then. And so, it's not the fact that we want to play at 12.30. Logistically, we have to get through everyone. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, what's wrong with people drinking it and partying at 12.30? Like, yeah. look around the world. Like, it's not... It's not a big deal.
3: Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, it used to be quite segregated. So, if you wanted to dance and see a DJ, you would go to a venue that was more electronic or disco based. And then, if you wanted to see a live band, then you would go to, you know, like an RSL club or you know, trade union club or whatever back in the eighties. And um, I'm not that old, by the way. I just know my history <laughs> in the city. Don't you research? That. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, but um, but now it's not like that because there are so. Um, because there are fewer venues, for one, and two, because people's tastes are a lot more diverse and broad. So you will get more than one genre at the one place. Now, um, bands, yes, traditionally they play before midnight, but often that that live music program will be subsidised by the DJs and the dance music program after midnight. So it's all one and the same. It's like if a venue can't actually have that roaring late-night trade, then they often can't afford to have that earlier live music mm. program, particularly when, when people are seeing a band. And this is actually a good thing, I think. When people are seeing a band, they're not drinking as much, so they're just actually engaged with the entertainment that is in front of them on the stage. Uh, and also, you know, people want to have dinner, you know. So that's already like 90 minutes, two hours of the night that where people aren't just guzzling away because they're trying to enjoy their dinner at some of the 500 hyped restaurants around the city, you know, because mm-hmm. we all know what food culture in the city is just completely off the Richter. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, well, something has to give some, somewhere, you know. and well, It's um, that yeah. carry-on
1: effect, like you, like you sort of said. You know, if, if we aren't having bands in venues at nine o'clock, then restaurants aren't having people in to eat at seven and eight o'clock. And we need to have these big events in order for the rest of the the kind of the the auxiliary community and, and businesses to actually be able to flourish and and to have people coming through. Because if you're not going out, you're not going out anywhere. Um and and that's for me, like that's the that's the answer to that question, Neil, of well what does it matter? Like your band's not playing at 1230. Well it's like, well it's the Mm. It's the, the domino effect that comes from yeah. saying, well, people can't go out past their bedtimes.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's not the government's place to tell you when to go to sleep, mm. in bed. And, and also, it's, it's a really weird thing, but when people are relaxed and have had a really good night and they're kind of letting their hair down, from a musician's point of view, when I'm backstage, um, those, those times have been monumental um, for me to make the best connections in terms of networking as well, mm. so it's not—it's like it's not just like you know we want to we want to rage on through the night. Like heaps of entertainers don't drink at all, but when you, everyone's had a good time and it's been a successful night, and you know you've gone out the front and you've signed your merch, and then you're backstage and you're talking to potential agents or managers, you know, and it's been a successful night, you need that extra hour or two to sometimes just get make sure you talk to everyone that came to your show. You know, it's, so, it's not just about partying. Like, it, there's the actual careers and conversations ha- and happening industry. late at night. Like, it's just the nature of what we do as entertainers.
0: Mm. So, what does this whole event, and I guess in the, in the bigger scheme of things, the lockouts mean to, to Tucker as a solo artist and to Fundamentals? You know, we talk about a lineup with you guys. You mentioned Hermitude, Nina Las Vegas. I mean, you guys are obviously one of the bigger bills on that lineup. What, what does it mean for you to kind of be almost, not the face, but... But you are one of the top bills. Like this is a big event for you guys. I
2: guess it's just walking the walk again. You know, yeah. like mm. we really support what um, Keep Sydney Open is doing and has done, mm. and we just want to be a voice. Like we don't have any answers, but we definitely want to contribute to, um, you know, the entertainment industry flour- flourishing in, in Sydney. And so to be a part of it and and um, you know show solidarity was really important to us.
0: Do you think we're moving towards um, a point where, you know, a lot of the venues in Cross right now are getting exemptions? You know, there's the Hugo's is reopening under new management. In August, they've already got an exemption lockout, sorry, exemptions to the lockouts. I mean, do you think this is only going to go more and more further across the area? Uh, well,
3: in terms of those exemptions, yeah. well, well, firstly, it's important to point out that the exemption is just for thirty minutes, yeah. and and that venue has to successfully have their application heard. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think more more and more venues are going to have those thirty minutes, and I think that we will push, you know, one thirty to two, and then till a little bit later. Um, lockouts aren't. Um, lockouts aren't really in any other major city around the world like yes mm. they have cease of service time but they don't have the they don't have the 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 lockout that precedes it by 1 hour or 90 minutes or whatever it is you know it, mm. it it's something which is particularly cruel and particularly sydney you know which is which i think is just um uh, just woeful. <laughs> is, is there
1: yeah. a model Australian city that, that we Sydney should be looking at? I mean, we talk about how Melbourne, obviously, you know, while we were doing lockout laws, they were introducing things like 24-hour public transport on, on weekends and, and things like that, you know, going in in the completely opposite direction. I mean, is, there, is there a model system or a model plan that we in Sydney should be
3: looking at? Yeah, well, I think Melbourne would definitely be one, um, certainly. You know, that is part of the city. That is part of the identity of Melbourne is... The that late-night culture uh, maybe because it's not as pretty, you know, so they have to actually work on (laughs) the synergy between, you know, the architecture and the bands and the artists and the people and the restaurants and all that kind of stuff, you know. Whereas here I think people just kind of go, ah, there's the beach, you know, there's that real... Sort sure, of, you know, resting on on those laurels. Um, to those in Melbourne, uh, we weren't throwing shade; uh, we're just we're complimenting you at the
1: same time. Okay, yeah, absolutely. It's a lovely city. Please don't send mail. Yeah,
3: we're frenemies, I guess. It's a backhanded compliment. Um, yeah, the um, uh, Adelaide as well. Actually, um, Adelaide is a city that has um, increasingly become more liberal to live music and the arts through a lot of legislative change, whether that's things like um, they're called agent of change laws, which um, make soundproofing um, mandatory for new developments and also um, the amount of money that they invest in live music within South Australia as well. So um, South Australia was one of the places that I think was lagging behind the rest of the cities and um, in Australia and it's actually become a leader within the country. Um, so it and, can happen so quite quickly. Well. Yeah, that's right, you know, but the government has to want to do it mm. uh, and they have to respect the... Um, the output of that city in terms of its artists on the world stage. I mean, you know, people are more than happy to, you know, pat uh, a huge act like, let's say, Flume on the back, you know, when they win Grammys, et cetera. But then, you know, the government doesn't stop to question, oh, how did that actually happen? You know, I mean, exactly. he, he came out yeah. of the time before the lockouts, you know. And, yeah. and um, you know, I'm, I remember when he was playing little gigs like at FBI Social, and at, and, and at the old Good God as well, um, when, you know, those rooms are like 200 people kind of thing and now he's playing, you know, 50,000 people or something. And
2: the thing is he would have had experiences at that low level that would have inspired him and there would have been people that he would have talked to that didn't have a direct influence on him being massive, but they but they were all there and like part of the ingredients of what makes an international artist. Those, those first couple of years where you don't know if you're going to be able to survive off this or not is totally around those first introductions you have mm. to your crowd and and the type of people running the promoters that you're you're with you know mm. and so if you're stripped of that you don't have that and just like great you might have dropped this internet bang I'm I'm not talking about flume anymore but you might have dropped this internet banger but when you get out there you have no tools and and no no like um kind of knowing or troubleshooting about how to go about it unless you've had one, two, three years of playing like small intimate gigs and, and slowly building up.
1: And and this is, I feel is why this is an industry conversation as much as it is a punter's conversation. You know, like Neil and I, we obviously talk about because we're a Sydney-based show, going out to to the rest of, of the country, we often bit talk about, oh, you know, should we not talk about Keep Sydney open you know on this show just because we 're talking to to the wider wider country, and the argument we always kind of land on is but it is this kind of black hole that we have the potential of letting Sydney become in terms of the sort of talent we 're generating and, and the opportunities we 're creating for new artists and new musicians by these lockout laws that does have this wide sweeping effect on. The rest of the country and the music we, as a whole, as a country, are produced. We spoke
0: about. Remember, off there, we were talking. Like you know, Hannibal Buress, the U.S. comedian, tweeted about it last year when he was here too, and he was like, "I tried to go to a bar and I couldn't get a fucking drink." Mm. Like, can you imagine? Paul McCartney's coming next year. Can you imagine if Paul McCartney he gets turned away? <laughs> Sorry, sir, Paul, where it's it's a whole thing called lockout laws. Like, Sorry. it's mental. Yeah. We we just, it's embarrassing. I don't want to be the
3: bouncer that tells Paul McCartney <laughs> you yeah. can't get a drink. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough gig. Well, I think it's something which is starting to spread that, that awareness, that acknowledgement that maybe it's gone too far. And that's the impression, you know, when you talk about is it going to... Um, catch on, you know, more venues becoming exempt and maybe even lifting the lockouts, et cetera, et cetera. Look, um, I, I just think that it can't go the opposite way. So it has to move in that direction. And um, and certainly with the help of all the artists and all the media speaking up about it, um, Keep Sydney Open will keep pushing for that because, you know, I mean, like, I'm personally not in this to fail, you know, and I don't yeah. think anyone is up for failing who's who's a part of this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to happen. And, yeah, look, um, I think that is the sense that I'm getting is that there are a few select people in government that um, realise that, Something's wrong that they cooked it a bit, and that they have to slowly do something about it and we're actually seeing okay, maybe not the lockouts themselves, but we're seeing a lot of little bits of legislation and policies around the edges start to shift a bit, which mm. is which is quite positive
1: we, we talked before about obviously you know Mike Baird um, stepping down and and how that kind of changed the I guess the focus or the dynamic of the kind of the movement and the conversation, Have has uh, Gladys come out with a, a firm position? What do we know about where she stands? What do we know about the direction she wants to take things, how
3: much she's listening, how much she's not listening? Where are we? Okay. So when she first became Premier, she had mentioned the lockouts because I think, you know, being the new kid in school, essentially, mm. she pretty much had to comment on everything in In particular, a lot of the the legacy policies that Mike Baird had left behind. And so on the lockouts she'd said, "Oh, uh, well, mums and dads are worried about their kids, you know, as if, you know, someone like me who's 35 years old, whose parents live in Melbourne, like, yeah. my parents love me, but they don't give a <laughs> shit how, how late <laughs> yeah, I go out, yeah. you know what I mean? It me? was a
2: very, like, not a city thing to say hey she was talking about a lot of people that live out in like the outer outer west like suburbs out mm. and how they're the parents of 18 year olds would feel when they come in and party on a weekend totally disregarding the millions of people that live in the city the, the vast majority the vast majority you know so it's like fair enough you you like you were saying it's like She's telling us to go to bed and we
3: Yeah. Look, it's really folksy.
2: And, you know, I don't even think she wrote those
3: comments. She would have had a staffer that would have penned that and workshopped that. That's how politics works. Um, you know, that rubbed us up the wrong way but whatever she said what she said now she hasn't commented about it since and so the impression that i've got um is that she pretty much said something about it to pay lip service to it and then she's dropped the issue and i don't think she wants to touch it i think um you know um her coming into the next election which is still quite a way away in 2019 i think she probably wants to focus more on the infrastructure spending and the um, more economics of new south wales rather than little things like lockouts and council amalgamations mm. and things like that. Um, and I think she is probably deferring the issue to the relevant ministers. And um, and so, you know, I think that's actually an opportunity because it means that we can deal with them and it means that there's less political heat around the issue.
1: Sure. Because that was going to be my next question. Is that is that a challenge for, us, for for us for this movement in that we no longer have someone to politically pressure or is it an opportunity in that, you know, there are ministers that are willing to be pragmatic about it and can actually slowly, quietly
3: work with the teams to, to change policy. Yeah, look, um, I think it's an opportunity. I think it's good because I realised when when it was all reaching a fever pitch and when Mike Baird was around was that he wasn't going to get rid of the lockouts because it was going to look like another backflip. Um, whereas, essentially, what I'm trying to do now is is go through a bit more of a back channel and just you know um meet up with different people and try and get changes in not so much of a dramatic public and politicized way um so yeah i think it that's a good thing um however in terms of getting people really passionate behind it yeah look um i think there's a few things going on there one is that people are as i said earlier um they're they're sick of complaining like they're still sick of the lockouts but they but but they also don't really want to go on about it all the time. People want to just live their lives. Mm. Um, And two, because there is just so much going on in the world, of course, you know, American elections at the end of last year, you know, terrorist attacks that, you know, people are, you know, trying to, um, you know, remain kind of optimistic about in terms of the state of the world and all that kind of stuff. Like people are thinking about all the issues going on around them.
2: And then, yeah, where's the priority of of not being able to drink after a certain hour? Mm. Yeah. After all that. But, But at the same time, like I feel like, um, this is a perfect opportunity to be a community and have a voice, and mm-hmm. you know things are only going to um, get worse if you if you let the, let people that don't understand culture and not hear the voice that needs to be like yeah, inform them. Absolutely. You know, so yeah, because it's the a way, br- way broader. In- I feel you. I feel like the. the People don't want to keep on banging on about this, but at the same time, it's like a perfect opportunity to show solidarity and have have voice as well. And it'd be it'd be awesome if more people kind of had that insight about what keeps Sydney Open's like kind of. Trying to trying to do. It's not just about this. It's about your liberties are being taken away, and yeah. this is a, absolutely. This is, it's like a, it's going to be a domino effect. But yeah, because something... I
3: feel like when people are actually meeting, coming together, going out, having you know, um, having conversations, whether that's you know maybe um, professionally, like you said earlier, Tucker, or whether that's just people discussing ideas about politics or whatever. I feel like when people are meeting more, when people are. Um, in each other's faces a bit more, people become more tolerant towards each other, and people can actually form community responses to all of these bigger issues that we're talking about. Um, but also, I think it's really important to acknowledge that, yeah, well, you know, climate change is an issue, Trump is an issue, immigration is an issue, but, you know, it doesn't actually, a lot of these things don't actually directly affect our lives. It's the kind of thing that we care, that we all care really passionately about, but, um but but the things that actually affect our lives happen at a community level. Like they happen at a local level. They happen at a state level. Um, and and yeah, people people often forget that. And we can care about both.
1: Like we, 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 we can we can do both. We can we can at the same time be building these communities and and actively working to to try and change what's happening right here in our local community, where at the same time giving a fuck about the fact that Trump is the president of the United yeah, States that's right. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then climate change is going to drown us all. Yeah,
3: I just think a lot of people get really incapacitated by sure. by the angst that happens from these really huge global issues, but I've always been a big believer in bottom-up change, you know, and so mm. it just starts with the
2: community. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a sign, like, to not be apathetic. It's Again, it's not just about not being able to drink after a certain time, it's like the population not being apathetic and and acting on that and once you see you know one cause on a local level from the bottom up getting changed you can also address other things and it's not so as daunting to talk about other things because there's lots of stuff on a local level that's happening
0: it's cool for you as well because again fundamentals have just uh, finishing up a massive album tour this weekend for everyone we know, it uh, peaked at number two on the RA charts. Congratulations. Well done, <laughs> well done buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. And, you know, you're fishing <laughs> up an album until You've got Splendour next month, but yet this is clearly something important to you guys. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's like,
2: I think, I, like, I, I'm kind of, there are so many things in the world that is like really daunting and, and, and threatening to everyone. And, you know, it feels like society is just like growing a lot of gray hairs and stressing and not really doing mm, anything. Yeah. So when there is an organization that's kind of unifying, like bringing people together, it's like I'm all about it because that, that it's one, it's inspiring and, and, and helps, you know, validate. Um, people that don't have a voice to have a voice and that's basically fundamentals message is is really like thinking critically about your
0: surroundings and loving yourself do you go. foresee having to have any awkward conversations at splendor with people like LCD sound system going hey man what's this shit about sydney having lockout laws and you having to defend that and you go, oh, no, it's a yeah, that's it's the whole thing. thing oh no like come, just, just
2: so people know every conversation i've had since lockout laws is yeah. like sydney sucks Wow, okay. It's a cultural thing amongst yeah. amongst anyone that knows about it. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's just so you know, backstage, whenever Sydney's brought up, it's like, let's move to Melbourne.
3: Yeah. Fuck, right. Wow. And a lot of people have. I've been seeing that with a lot of my friends, a lot of people who are in these more underground crews, particularly with electronic music. A lot of them have, have moved to Melbourne mm. or they're bringing forward their plans to move to Berlin or London forward by a year or, or so. Um, but look, I think... I think it's true. Like when you take a step back and you have a look at what the music climate is like in other cities, whether that's Melbourne or Montreal or London or whatever. Yeah, Sydney does suck. But, um, but I think that there are a lot of people who are still trying to, you know, start venues and put on nights and put on parties and start bands and all that kind of stuff. And, The way that I look at it is that the lockouts are going to go. As I say, I'm not in this to fail and whether Mm. that is in two years' time or five years' time or six months' time, they are going to go. And so I think it's really important for all of us on the ground who all want things to improve to almost live in like a (laughs) post-lockout world to some extent you know because it's like because it's use it or lose it because if we all think that it's shit all the time then it means that like less rooms are going to be booked there's going to be like you know um um, gigs aren't going to reach their capacity people aren't going to make as much money and it's just going to erode and retreat further and further uh, so I think like we do need to start being a little bit more positive, and that is part of the reason for putting on this festival. Meet me in the cross. Mm. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I, I guess like yeah, like I don't actually believe in that wholeheartedly, but it is a stigma that gets thrown around. Mm. It's and and it's a stigma that's come from legislation, not the actual culture. Mm. Like like I've said it before as well. Like the culture still going to happen. It's just going to happen in a warehouse. Like yeah. these baby boomer kind of approaches to not working with youth culture will totally backfire and you know worst case scenario they're going to be out of power and they're going to have all these like new generation in power not being that sympathetic to baby boomers basically when when the buck stops like in a couple of in a couple of decades mm. you know they're not making us feel very proud of like you know what they're doing and it's only going to unbalance like when we get into power in situations where our generation gets to make legislation, you know what I mean. It's just not, not a mature way to deal with youth culture. Is to just deny it straight up, and it create and it creates a stigma.
1: Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I've learned some things today. <laughs> um, I hope you have too, listener. Have too. <laughs> um, uh, so the
3: gig is on July first, right? And and we can go get tickets. Yeah, that's right. So the tickets are 30 bucks, and yep. that gets you entry. It's a wristband and it gets you entry to eight different venues all around King's Cross. And Sweet. so, of course, Tucker and Thundermentals are doing a DJ set and Hermitude's doing DJ set as is uh, Nina Las Vegas. Yep. And we've got a bunch of other bands as well. There's World Champion, Mezco, Dappled Cities, and then heaps of different crews. There's Astral People DJs, Love Bombs and Future Classic DJs and heaps of people all occupying all these little rooms. Um, so, yeah, 30 bucks through Eventbrite. You can check the Keeps in the Open Facebook page and the event page is there too. Um, yeah, 1st of, Jan- um, of July. Yeah, well, hang out.
1: Come see us, guys. Uh, Neil and myself will be there. We'll be partying it up. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank and best you. of luck with the gig. Yeah, thank you. Be tight. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: yeah, I had to get it in. <laughs> I love it.